0: Hello and welcome to this episode of The Missing Link for SLP's podcast. glad you are here for part of this series where we talk to SLP who have published a book, whether it's self-publishing or more the traditional route, their passions are written in words. So welcome to this episode. Enjoy. Also, when you're done or while you're just listening to the episode, go find us at freshslp.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We are definitely working on building a great podcast and would welcome your support. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I am here with somebody who I aspire I would like to be like someday. So welcome to the episode. We are talking today to a very exciting person. And I'm sure if I say your name, I'm going to mess it up because I'm a little nervous myself, which is unusual. So will you say your name and introduce yourself, please? My name's is
1: Tansman. Wonderful to meet you and have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you, really. So you may wonder why
0: I'm nervous or the listeners may wonder why I'm a little bit nervous because you reached out to me and you said, I would love to be on your podcast in a very kind of like under the wire way. Here's what I do. And I started looking at what you sent me and you have a phenomenal book out that I read and it gave me goosebumps. Hope After Stroke for Caregivers and Survivors, the holistic guide to getting your life back edition known as the Stroke Bible. And I looked through it. I read portions of it. When I have time, I will I will read the whole entire thing. I'm probably 66% of the way through it. You are a life coach. You have such an interesting story. I'm going to stop talking and let you please tell us about your book.
1: Oh, thanks. I'm excited to share that information. So I am a speech-language pathologist and have been since 1978. So... Um, I have been in the field for a long time, but quite honestly, I've been in the field and then I've been out of the field. And my background has really almost exclusively been, I I would say the vast majority, has been with um, stroke patients and, and people who've suffered traumatic brain injuries. So that area of study was always really a passion of mine. I worked in acute hospitals, rehab settings, outpatient centers, community settings, home care, literally every setting around that was possible. And I came to write this book because what I think I really saw most of all with all of my patients over this vast amount of time and it didn't matter how old they were it didn't matter what their ethnicity was what mattered is that they had all experienced a catastrophic event in their life whether they were the stroke survivor or the traumatic brain injury survivor and so did the people in their families Mm -hmm. and what i wanted more than anything was to write a book that empowered them Mm -hmm. i wanted those people to feel smart, and to feel empowered, and to feel hopeful in their process of recovery. That was what I thought, beyond any of the goals that I ever wrote, beyond any of what was appropriate for Medicare or the insurance companies, that was my bottom line result. That's what I wanted. And, um, And so I wrote this book.
0: The passion comes through in the book from the very beginning where it's, you must read this first all the way through in each
1: chapter, and you have something tucked at the end of each chapter as a takeaway as well. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do as well. So I know people are busy. I know the way I read a book. I read a book book backwards a lot of times, or a magazine backwards. Drives my husband (laughs) crazy.
0: (laughs) That's why your book is like not all the way done, but I've just skipped and hopped
1: through it. It's just been wonderful. Well, and that was exactly the intention. I wanted it to be valuable wherever mm-hmm. anybody picked it up. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I called that, I call it the essential takeaways in the book. But in the introduction, I describe it as the info to go section. I want quick digestible bites of information that are Easily understood that somebody can go to a chapter that says why, you know, like what are the, I forget what I said, even though, you know, um, like talking about communication problems and, and you go back to the end and you get those nuggets those beautiful takeaway nuggets that somebody can use right away to either have a conversation with their care provider or to understand their loved one or for their loved one the person who's had the event to understand what's going on for that person himself so I felt that um, each of those essential takeaways was critical and the when the way I arranged the book too was from what happened because really after all that's like the first thing that we think like oh my god what just happened right. so I really help simplify the medical jargon I and mean, you go to the hospital as a stroke survivor or a caregiver of a stroke survivor and it is a crash course in medical you know information mm-hmm. and you know what we routinely know is the st the pt the ot somebody who is dealing with all this emotional crisis, has no idea what they're talking about. Suddenly they're able to read MRIs. They have to deal with, you know, all these different therapists. So that, that first part is what happened. Mm-hmm. And then the second sort of whole section, and, and it also describes all the medical stuff, like the feeding disorders and um, what to look for when you are in that acute stage of recovery and how to advocate for your person in the hospital because trust me you need an advocate in the hospital. Um so that second section is what's next, you know, it may be that transition from hospitalization to either going home or into the next phase of long-term recovery in a facility. And then the third part is what now. So there comes a point in time when the therapists leave and it's one of those both. You know, every stage is both daunting and exhilarating. Like I, I can't tell you how many patients say when they're in the hospital, "I can't wait to get out." I can't wait to get out. And then discharge day, they're freaked, right? They're terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the last section is, you know, what now? What what's going to become now of our life? It takes you all the way through the process. Yeah. And that means going back to work, driving. Um, I have a chapter in there about sex because, you know what? Nobody talks about it. It's as if you become asexual once you've had a stroke. Well, that's not true. No. No. <laughs> it's not true at all. And and nobody gives anybody guidance about it from whether you're terrified to have sex because you think you might have another stroke because maybe you actually had a stroke while you were having sex or, you know, and that's happened, right? Uh, Or or those just difficult conversations where one partner is either revulsed by or terrified to do something. And then that may go for the person who is the survivor themselves. They have all this self-doubt and self-hatred. So there's a chapter about that uh, Mm -hmm. because I want people to it's not that I know everything. I really researched a lot and spoke to a lot of people. But again, I want whoever's reading the book to have the questions to ask. When we,
0: before we started our podcast, we were talking about what series to put you on. And the podcast has a series, Real Talk, mm-hmm. Real, Real Conversations. And that's one of the things that I find very appealing about your book It's like I'm learning from you in a very real and fundamental way, in a very basic way. And I've been in the field for a number of years, and I found it to be very just um, refreshing and real and easy to, you just, you hit on some key truths in there.
1: And I want it to be easy to read. Sometimes people, they'll say, I don't mean to say that it's easy to read. I said, I am so glad you said it's easy to read. I want it to be. I want it to be that way. I wanted, and I really wrote it from the point of view that I was sitting down in the room with that person.
0: That's the impression I got.
1: Yeah. And I'm really happy that that came through. I wanted it to be so intimate and so just conversational. So I'm really happy. That's what you felt.
0: Almost a one-on-one experience with the book. Like the book was talking to me with the experiences that you shared, the way you described the gentleman laying in the bed. Yeah. had the stroke. Yeah. I would, I know we have a number of listeners on here who are students and uh, clinical medical um, SLPs. And this is a must read book for them because it takes wisdom you've taken wisdom and you've packed it into this book so this is one of those rare books where not only does it it teach you something but it teaches it gives you the layers on how to apply it and why it's important
1: well thank you and i i will say that that was something that I didn't experience at all as a grad student or moving into the field and um, and in fact it's kind of funny it's it's one of the reasons I left the field for a period of time as a speech pathologist coming out of grad school in my 20s and starting to work with stroke patients who at the time I thought were really old I don't know they might have been 40. <laughs> I say that now as a 66-year-old person, it's like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Um, and who knows? They might have been older, but they might have been 40. Um, and it's funny because as much as I cared, I did care about my patients. I always cared about them. I felt in a lot of ways that I was treated as the friendly visitor and somebody was patting me on the head. Like, And, and the frequent comment that I would get is, oh, You're so pretty. And I would think, you know, well, that's swell, but that's not what I'm here for. You know, thanks. But like, take me seriously. Like, I, I know something. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) So, I do want to ask you some questions about your career, but I know I'm interested in writing a book and I haven't started it yet. For those of us who are interested in writing a book, tell us about that process, please.
1: Yeah, that came to me literally in a meditation. I decided, um, well, so a little background. My mother, neither of my parents are alive. My father died at the age of 68. I was present at his death. I tried to revive him and failed to revive him. Um, and my mother died at 64. And, um, also from a sudden heart attack, I was not there, but as her medical advocate, I was the one that had to, tell the medical staff um, I had to fulfill her wishes to stop treatment. Um, So as I approached my 60th birthday, I started to look at like, "Mm," you know, tick, tick, tick. What if, like, what if, what do I want to do? What is important for me to leave in the world? Um, And it came to me during a meditation and I've always written, I've written, you know, I have like 16 stories published in various Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I've written some blogs and I was a contributor to an online um, recovery site doing blog posts. So I've always written in a way, but I've never written a book. And during this meditation, it came to me to write uh, a book about speech, which I know did not come from my own thought. (laughs) That came from a divine thought because that's not at all what I would have thought I'd write my book about. Not at all. And and so I sort of sat and bargained with this intuitive intuition and said, okay, if I'm going to write this book, I'm going to be authentic about it. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to write it the way I want to write it. And I'm going to say the words like holistic. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which which I was forbidden from saying thirty years ago when I started in my career, or forty years ago when I started in my career. You know, I was going to write it the way that I wanted to write it, and I had listened to another podcast. It was about the self. It was about a young guy in his thirties who had, and I'll shorten the story. But anyway, he created this book, this um, group called the Self Publishing School. And his story was really profound and interesting and about, you know, how you can learn if you've never written a book and, and how the world now, every industry has been disrupted and the publishing one way more so. So as a little background, I had started writing children's books and I was submitting them in a very traditional way to traditional publishers where they wanted exclusive submissions. That meant that you could submit one story and you had to wait six months to a year to hear no from them, right? It was a mean industry. And all of a sudden, this self-publishing world came about where you can write a book you, you know, and find all the ways to do it. Not a schlock book, but a good book mm-hmm. uh, with editors and with book cover designers and with formatters and et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I enrolled in that course and followed the process and I will tell you, writing a book teaches you about who you are. It was a fascinating experience. So I encourage you, if you've got a book brewing in you, um, to, to find your voice, to find the support. I'm happy to share the resources of the Self-Publishing uh, School. They have a lot of free resources and um, that are both, you know, what do you call it? Um, YouTube videos as well as some print stuff. And then, you know, if, if you decide to go further and invest in their coursework to go ahead and do that, but yeah, self-publishing school was really helpful to me. And I'm actually working on now my third. Um, so I wrote hope after stroke for caregivers and survivors. And then I created a companion journal, a workbook journal Mm -hmm. for caregivers. Um, to accompany that book, but the new book that I'm working on is is quite a different book, more about a coaching perspective. So, but but yes, once you get the skills to do that, the sky's the limit. You can you can self-publish. And self-publishing now is not what it used to be in terms of, it used to be just this vanity thing like, oh, you couldn't get published anywhere else. And the truth is, if you look at the numbers and the control that you have in doing it yourself, it is totally the way to go.
0: <laughs> I know many others would agree with you. They want to get the book done, done well and out there.
1: Yes, and, and you have all the control that you want in the way it's marketed. And, um, you know, everybody wants the big deal, the big advance from the publisher. But here's the the wicked truth about that. You still have to market your own book. And if, by the way, you don't sell the 10,000 copies that they have created for you, you have to buy them back. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know. So you're an author and you're also a coach. Yeah. So tell us about that, please. So the coaching is really interesting. You know, I came to coaching. As speech pathologists, we're always coaching our patients. You can't take a person who's not in the midst of an enormous shift in their life and not be a coach. And so that was a natural part of it. But I went on to become a certified coach. I mean, I did and always do all the continuing education that we do in terms of counseling and all that type of thing, but also learning more coaching strategies and coaching techniques. Um, And it occurred to me, (laughs) one of my taglines was, you don't have to have a brain injury to damage your brain. You can do it with the thoughts you think and the behaviors that you choose. And that's so true because I would think here are these people with brain injuries that are getting better and other people that I'm dealing with who don't have a brain injury, who don't have memory problems or organizational problems are thinking thoughts that are creating negative outcomes for themselves. When all of those thoughts are optional, Mm -hmm. we don't believe that they're optional but when we can really sort out the facts and the stories and then our thoughts about it, because our thoughts create our feelings, which direct our actions, and ultimately create our results. So um, coaching is a wonderful part of what I do still as a speech pathologist, but also as a life coach for um, other people. You just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> I have had,
0: I admire great coaches i have worked with great coaches i know you've worked with great coaches as well yeah and we've who are some of the great coaches you've
1: worked with so total top of the lot list mentors uh, brooke castillo who's got an actual fabulous podcast called the life coach school um i was trained as a neurolinguistic master practitioner um That was really great work. Derek Rydahl is a great uh, inspirational mentor to me. I worked with Tony Robbins and trained with Tony Robbins. I'm I'm a fire walker myself. I actually walked across the hot coals. Wow. uh, Yes. Oh, talk about that. How'd you? Yeah, that was a fascinating experience. So um, I had gone to this experience and and I really came to life coaching there and to Tony's work. Um, around 2008, I would say when, you know, the financial world took a huge tumble and we lost 75% of our net worth. (laughs) Oh, well, there was that. Um, and anyway, so I decided to participate in one of his trainings and I went by myself. It was in LA. It was at a huge auditorium. Um, it started at one o'clock in the afternoon and by one o'clock in the morning, was when we first started to go walk on coals. That's when we were doing it at one o'clock in the morning and leading up until the actual fire walking experience, we did a lot of visualization. And if you would have asked me how long I was lying on the floor of this, you know, convention center um, in preparation and mental preparation for this exercise, I would have said 15 minutes, (laughs) but that was a full at least 45 minutes to an hour of just, Mental preparation, seeing what we were seeing, hearing what we were hearing, feeling what we were feeling. And in fact, um, when I went to do this, again, so I was with a lot of people. There were probably close to 3,000 people in this experience. Um, We walked from the convention center barefoot, actually. We walked barefoot to, wasn't very far from the convention center where we were going to walk across these hot coals. And it was probably about... 15 to 20 feet, I I want to say it was 15 feet of walking on these hot coals, and you're watching the guys with the wheelbarrows of these red hot coals, you know, and they're putting them down. And there was a lot of chatter. I was really happy I was by myself and not influenced by sort of or distracted by other conversation. I focused on what we had done in the visualization exercise, what I was saying to myself, my mental preparation for it and then it was my turn and they tell you to walk briskly but not fast not you know not like you're running they don't want you to run across it and by the time i got to the end of it somebody grabbed my arm so i was my first inclination was wait what did i do wrong <laughs> and they stopped me because then they put your feet in uh, water just in case there are embers stuck to your feet because that can happen. So even though they were already on my feet and I didn't experience any feeling, once you're out of that sort of mental state, once you've completed it, you, you could have an ember burn you. So the reason they stopped me was to just get my feet in, in the water and wash off anything that was attached. And it was pretty amazing experience to to know that i did that to know that it was a mindset to know that it was a possibility for myself
0: very very strong very powerful story
1: yeah it was it was a it was an incredible thing and that's how we kicked off you know 3 days of intense training
0: that's an amazing story
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was really cool
0: it's an amazing story i it's so I've come through a lot of trials in my in my time, and one of the the things, and I know I shared this with you before, is you know people have said, "My gosh, you're so strong," and I'm like, "Well, I'm just I'm just strong enough," and I love being around people who bring out the goosebumps mm. and have that strength. And this is I love this I love this, and I'm a little lost for words. <laughs> Question I want to ask
1: next, because that was such a powerful story. It just, well, you incredible. know, likewise, you know, I have to say, Maddie, you amaze me. Truly, you amaze me. I, I think you amaze me. Who knows what I would be like in your situation? We just don't ever know. Right. And that's, that's, that's very
0: true. And that's why I do what I do to yeah. uplift others and yeah. to, to uh, you know, to just to have that mindset myself and, and be around others who are uplifting. How does that phrase go? If the flower's not blooming, don't blame the seed, something like oh. that. Oh, I it, don't know. Be around, be around in soil that that nourishes you and and uh, yes. helps you grow. Yes. And one of the things, now I've had a span of a career like you as well, I was counting mm-hmm. I have over 25,000 one-on-one hours of therapy wow. in- writing wow. a note. And I'm like, how many times have I done this? Wow. And and um, we can do so many things as speech pathologists. We can write books. We can work in home health. We can become um, uh, lobbyists. Oh. Um, I know speech pathologists have become lobbyists. We can become experts with accent modification or dysphagia or voice or PEDs or adults, whatever we want to do. And we take we the essence of being a speech
1: pathologist, and you're right, it's who we are. It's what we it's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. How did you calculate the number?
0: <laughs> the number of hours. Uh, by the number of years I've worked, number of hours per week.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, it was
0: a roundabout. It was a roundabout estimate.
1: What, what year did you graduate? Nineteen ninety-two. Okay, so and I graduated in seventy-eight. <laughs> it, it's so funny, you know. Somebody had mentioned so my speech license is, number is seven four four eight, and it wasn't until actually I had a student tell me that those license numbers are um based on like the year that you got it so i guess i was still in you know it was still under 10, people people oh, people license i wonder what the numbers are today i don't know what's I your number 01091498 oh or is that your asha number or is that your speech that's license that's your license number it's my Asha number. Yeah, no, no, no. So your speech license number for the state that you're licensed uh, in. Five two eight.
0: I don't. I don't have that one memorized. It's only like three or four digits.
1: Oh, so it's only four digits. He's he he made it seem like um, that this guy that he had been had as a mentor had his license was number one. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know if that was true or not. <laughs> Maybe that's a legend.
0: Well, I have a very good friend of mine, Anino Kazan, who's uh, just a very gifted voice therapist. And she's in her 70s, I believe, going strong. She just finished a three-day, like, around-the-world voice (laughs) webinar. Wow. Loves it. Loves it, loves it, loves it. And I hope to be doing the same. Um, Let's jump back just a minute. Um, You said you left the field for a short period of time. And my coaching niche is with speech pathologists who who, who do struggle. They're new, they're transitioning, they're not sure where they want to go with their career. So would you share with us why you became a speech pathologist and why you left?
1: Yeah, sure. So I first became a speech pathologist. Uh, coincidentally, the timing was interesting. Uh, I had just returned from Germany with my family. We lived abroad for a year. And uh, I was in my just entering college. I had taken some college coursework at the University of Maryland when I was in Germany because it was affiliated with the um, American base. And my mom was working for the Americans and my father was working on the German economy. So I had to declare kind of a major. And my grandmother had a stroke. I and I would uh, watch my grandmother with this. My mom was the one that really said, why don't you come see this speech therapist that's helping grandma? And my grandmother was had severe Broca's aphasia. Of course, I didn't know that at the time, but she had severe Broca's aphasia and she was angry. She was really angry. And it was fascinating to watch this speech therapist talk with her my mom realized that I was always interested in communication, that I had sort of a heart for that interaction with people in a very personal way. She said, "Why don't you check into it?" So I did, and I started taking coursework. and I really liked it, and it just sort of seemed it was it was as good as anything, right? I liked the more I studied, the more I liked. I went to the University of Florida to get my undergraduate degree. And when I had to sign up for grad school, I took my GREs. Did I bombed them. Terrible on my GREs. I'm great at writing essays and writing stories, hence my thesis, hence my book. But, you know, give me a multiple-choice question, and I want to annotate the notes on the side as to why I chose that answer, <laughs> That doesn't work well. Anyway, when I failed to get into the grad school at the University of Florida, I went and spoke to the professor and I said, listen, I am graduating from your course with a summa summa cum laude. That's what I was graduating with. I said, what's the purpose of the GREs? They said, well, we want to predict how well you're going to do in grad school. And I said, doesn't my performance in your school matter? No. So I went, well, I guess I was meant to go to California. So I left and went to California. I established residency. I had friends that were living in the northern, in this Bay Area, um, in Mill Valley, Sausalito. I started working as a waitress. I established residency, ended up at San Diego State University and graduated in 1978. And um, was really, I started my clinical fellowship year And what I guess would now be really ill named. It was called Crippled Children's Society back in the day. I know. Can you imagine? Like how politically incorrect is that? I used to
0: work for a nursing home called (laughs) the Hami Home for the Aging. Yeah. And when I worked in England, we worked with a group of students called the um, what was it? Not the stumbling children, but the clumsy children. The (laughs) white children. Aussie children. Oh, no. That no. Was, that was honestly the name of the group. Oh, my gosh. That was oh the name God.
1: of the group. Wow. Yeah. Well. Um, yours? <laughs> yeah, the Crippled Children's Society. I think it's now called just Easter Seals. And. Um, oh, my gosh. Thank goodness we've come so far. Yeah, we have. And we. I did see a lot of medically um, fragile children. Um, in this setting. And I enjoyed it. I liked that aspect of the medical aspect of it. And then I left that and went on to home care. And I have always been an independent contractor, literally my entire career, with the exception of one very brief very brief stint, and I'll tell you about that. And then another where I was at an inpatient residential facility in Seattle. But So I got my degree in California. I lived in New York. I lived in Seattle, Washington. I lived in California. I lived in Florida. I was licensed in all of those states over the various periods of time that I worked in those places. And Fortunately, I think in our field, it is very easy to find work, um, particularly in the home care home care field. Also, probably in the skilled nursing, although I, I that's not really the setting that's my pre- preference. But um, so, I always worked as an independent contractor. And at a certain point, after I left um, Cripple Children's Society, and was working on my own, and being told quite often, "Oh, aren't you cute? You're, you're so pretty," you know, and just feeling like things were moving slowly, and because I was an independent contractor, I had no community of other therapists I was working with. Mm-hmm. I I I was on my own, and I was traveling a lot, driving to people's homes, and at a certain point, I said, I just want to develop my physical side. I was still in my 20s. I want to develop my physical side. I want to do things that are faster, and, you know, so I quit my job, sold my car, left my apartment, and decided to go work at Club Med, (laughs) (laughs) and take a vacation and maybe work at Club Med. This was back before there were cell phones, before there was internet. Um, I had no idea whether any of that would work, but I had saved some money and decided I wanted to do that. Well, I ended up with a raging case of hepatitis and um, had to come home. And um, it wasn't much longer after that that I personally had a medical crisis, where I ended up in the hospital. And I will never forget how things changed. I remember lying in bed. I was very weak. I was still tethered to IVs. And this one nurse came in and she whooshed the curtain back and just was in the brightest, lightest, most delicious tone of voice and kindness said, good morning, darling. And I looked up at her and I went, you're so pretty. And I finally got what my patience really meant. Like it really had nothing to do about her being pretty. Although she was, it was how she made me feel. Mm -hmm. She made me feel like there was hope. Mm -hmm. She made me feel like there was something that was going to shift. And I left the hospital after that, and I reentered the field with a whole new perspective of how I was going to work with patients and what my real purpose was. It wasn't about how good I was, how smart I was, what my protocols were. It was about my patient, Mm -hmm. ultimately about my patient, and what could I do to help them find their way.
0: Another goosebump story. Yeah. 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 I had one of those myself today where the gal had has the, the woman I had was evaluating had a stroke and I asked her what she was, what her goals were. She says, well, I don't know, but you speak my language. <laughs> speak language. And that is where the magic and the reward of being a specialist yes. comes from. Yeah. And we don't nope. have recognition. Yes. Um, But it's those conversations where we know we're changing that life for the better.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's funny you should say that. um, But yes, you did speak her language. And she knew that you knew that. And that Mm -hmm. safety and security that she felt by knowing she was in capable hands. And, you know, I often looked around as I would drive around and look at buildings that were left built by people. And I say, you know, the people that built these buildings have something tangible to look at. They've left something behind. What can I say I've left behind? And then I start to drive around in the neighborhoods and I recognize I know the person that lives there and I know that person, and I helped that person get through this crisis, and this person, I know their personal story, and I started to stack those things up as um, the contribution that I made, not so much what I did for them, but for how I was a part of an intimate, sacred journey that they were on. Very
0: honorable. Fresh SLP is my legacy. That's why and this is me paying it back to the, the the speech pathologist coming behind us.
1: I think that's fantastic that you've elected to do that and expand and see what's so possible and different and limitless in our field. I mean, I will say that is one really phenomenal aspect of our field is how broad it is. And, and I see all these young people now creating materials and doing things that are, are thrilling.
0: We never would have done that. We It wasn't even on the horizon. No, not at yeah. all. Yeah. Final question. What words of advice did somebody give you that you did not follow and you were glad
1: you did not follow? <laughs> uh, I am glad that I did not follow the advice to stay put, you know, when when I first left the field for a while, to um, why would you leave? You've invested all this time in your education. And maybe this is like crazy advice to tell somebody, but I was really happy that I satisfied the drive and the curiosity and the urge to expand and to see, and then to come back so enriched by a change of experience, to come back with something that was so much more meaningful. So I'm really glad that I didn't choose to go with what was, you know, the known thing behind door number one and, and really expand and explore what was behind door number three, no matter that it landed me in the hospital, no matter that it landed me and, you know, like whatever it was, it was really valuable, really valuable.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Before we met, I've been was mulling over how to say your name. And I was just trying different ways of saying it. And no matter what I came up with, it reminded me of those beautiful, um, I want to say, not Segoia cactuses, but those beautiful Segoia trees, Segoia trees, there we go, (laughs) that are rooted so deep down in the soil. And I must say your name, the way I envision you matches your
1: soul. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I will say that for my 65th birthday, I went to Sequoia National Forest. Mm. I went there. These are trees that are 4,000 years old, and they're enormous. And I'm going to make one minor correction for you, but you'll appreciate the correction. So I thought, too, that the roots must be so deep to hold these enormous, majestic trees. But the truth is the the roots are shallow. But what happens is in the grove, they bind together. The roots of neighboring trees bind together. And that is absolutely the most remarkable thing. And I think that more than anything tells us that we are community. We need each other. Yes, absolutely. Well, this
0: will go down as one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you very much for
1: the time. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much.
0: I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP, continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the Missing Link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.